Good morning. If you love Jesus, let's give a shout out to him. Woo! Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hey, I, I want to start off the way I normally start off of this, the 19th day of the year 2020, uh, by reading some scripture and then praying us into our time of study. Uh, the first passage is from Matthew chapter 13, and, and Jesus has just begun teaching the people through parables, and his first was about the parable of the the soil, the seed, or the sower. You had some seed that fell on the path, some that fell among the rocks, some that fell on thorns, and some that fell on good ground. And matter of fact, as this word is shared today, you know, some will fall on the path, some will fall among the rocks, some will fall on good ground, and some among the thorns. And, and a lot of the people that were listening didn't understand uh, what Jesus had said, and they really didn't want to understand, but the disciples did, and so they they come up to Jesus and they ask him a question like, why are you starting to talk in parables? And we read this. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you um, because you want it, because you want to understand, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For these people's hearts have become calloused. Hope that's not your heart this morning. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. And then three chapters over Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Heavenly Father, I pray that we tremble in your presence. I pray that we tremble at your word. I pray, Father, that your word would find good soil today. I pray if our soil is rocky, that we'll bust up those rocks. If our soil is thorny, that we'll pull up those weeds that are distracting us. And Father, I pray that that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear, that we will long to understand what you have for us. God, your word is alive and active and powerful. God, enable me to speak today what you want me to speak and for, for us to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, this morning we're kicking off our first series of the new year, a series that I'm calling 2020 Vision. Uh, now, according to the America Optometric Association, 2020 vision is a term used to express normal visual acuity, the clarity or sharpness of vision measured at a distance of 20 feet. In other words, if you have 2020 vision, you can see clearly at 20 feet what you should see at 20 feet. And, and I think you all would agree that seeing things clearly, that visual acuity is, is a good thing. And that's why many of us do things to correct our vision. And just raise your hands if you have 
contacts, wear glasses, or had any surgery to help your vision? Just raise your hands. Okay, so we all care about vision in here. Uh, it matters. Uh, visual acuity is a very good thing. And uh, a lot of you know that since January of 2013, I, I, I've struggled with my vision. I have something called fourth nerve palsy in my left eye, and it causes me to have double vision, especially when looking down. Have you ever wondered, why did this guy raise his stand so high? It's, it's because I look down, and then everything is double vision. And I uh, actually went to two eye doctor's appointment this week, which is interesting with this series, and uh, um, to find out a second opinion on the surgery, I need to correct this because having clear vision matters to me. I even took a couple of selfies at my last appointment on Friday, and, and I'm selfie-taking challenged. I don't need to tell you that. You'll see quickly by the first picture that I took, all right? Okay? <laughs> that didn't work so good, right? That, that was number one. And I think this was number 10, the best I could get. That's the best I could get. I thought, it'd be cool to have a selfie talking about vision with all that stuff in there. And that's the absolute best that I could pull off, all right? And I don't think that's ever going to change. I just cannot. I mean, you watch people do it. They just get that angle right away. You know, it's not my giftedness, right? But visual acuity, seeing clearly, is not just important when looking at eye chart, but also when it comes to other areas of our lives. And that's what this series is about. It's about having 2020 vision, seeing things clearly in some of the most important areas of our lives. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about you know, seeing church as the hope of the world. Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about seeing yourself through his eyes. The week after that, we're going to talk about seeing your relationships as an opportunity. The week after that, we're going to talk about seeing your work as a mission. And the week after that, I'm not going to tell you what week that is because you probably all want to stay home because it'll scare you, right? Uh, seeing your assets as belonging to him. Okay, what day is that? I'm going to be sick that day. I'm going to have a cold because I don't want to talk about that because I like my stuff being mine. But that's not you. I'm just kidding, right? Um, but this morning, I, I, I want to talk about what is the most important area that you and I need to be able to see clearly, and that is seeing Jesus for who he is. But before we go there, I just have to remind you of the word, the theme word that I asked us to embrace as a theme word for our year 2020. Anybody remember what that word was? It was the word what? Rest. Question, would you like your 2020 to be a year where instead of striving to perform and earn God's love, forgiveness, and grace, where instead you just rest in it? and rest in the finished work of the cross? Would you like this to be a year where instead of worrying and being anxious about so many things, that you rest in that peace that passes all understanding? Uh, would you like this to be a year where, there, where instead of just hearing about, can we get rid of that picture? <laughs> My goodness. It's bad enough you got to look at me here. But throw that up there. That's cruel and unusual punishment. I apologize. My gosh, I looked over there. It's terrible. All right. But anyhow, uh, uh, would you like this to be a year where instead of worrying about your tomorrow that you trust in his future? Would you like this to be a year where, where instead of trying to live the Christian life in your own strength that you rest in his power that's already at work within you? Understand there is a real rest that waits for you to enter. Hebrews 4, 9, and 11 says this, So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. 
For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their works, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. And so the question I have for you still today is, have you entered that rest and are you experiencing that rest? Like, is soul rest, I'm not talking about naps or vacations, I'm not sitting about, talking about sitting on the couch and eating Doritos all day, but would soul rest describe your life? Or in other words, like worry, fear, doubt, stress, overwhelmed, chaotic, weary, exhausted, depressed, sad, unproductive, pointless, be a more accurate description of the condition of your heart. I mean, seriously, have you ever felt like if Jesus loves me, if God forgave me, then why isn't this Christian thing working? If you ever felt that way, I encourage you, actually re-listen to the message last week, and I'll probably do it again. I mean, this week, I'll do it again, because this is so important to me. I want to live out the rest of God. I want to live in his rest personally. I don't want to live in the wilderness. I want to rest on his promises, his hope, and his grace. And remember that this, the way to enter God's rest is belief, and the way to believe is, one of the ways is to be in God's word, right? Faith comes from hearing God's word, and uh, a very important thing. Now, uh, back to our sermon. Uh, Seriously, if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to that. I mean, God used it in a great way for me. And I'm not telling you, listen, because I think I'm a great speaker or anything, but there's a great truth in there. Because God didn't save you for you to freak out, to keep trying to earn your salvation, and to be worrying all the time. He wants you to live in his rest. And so, again, I would just encourage you to do that. But today, I want to talk about seeing Jesus for who he is. And when I talk about seeing Jesus, I'm not talking about seeing Jesus with the eyes in your head, but with the eyes that are in your heart. And yes, our heart does have eyes, according to Scripture. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. It may say three up there, but that's my fault. It's one. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Uh, Paul is praying in that verse that he's praying that the eyes of your heart will be opened, that you would know the hope to what he's called you. I mean, do you know that hope this morning? That you would know the riches of his inheritance and that you would know the incredible great power that's available to you because you believe. It is the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Bottom line, there's a way of seeing that is much greater than mere physical sight. And the gospel writers make that clear, right? We saw that already in Matthew 13. Though seeing, they did not see. In other words, they only saw Jesus with their eyes. They didn't see him with the eyes of their heart. Uh, I like what a guy named John Piper wrote in his book called Seeing and Savoring Jesus. He writes this, Everyone can read stories of Jesus and see the portraits painted by the words of those who knew him. But not everyone sees truth and beauty and infinite value. Some see only myth, some see foolishness, some see offense, seeing they do not see. As though a child should look at a Michelangelo and prefer a comic strip. Savoring Jesus is a response to seeing Jesus with the eyes of your heart. When you see something as true and beautiful and valuable, you savor it. That is, you treasure it. You cherish and admire and prize it. Spiritual seeing and spiritual savoring are so closely connected that it will be fair to say, if you don't savor Christ, 
you haven't really seen Jesus for who he is. If you don't prize him above all things, you haven't apprehended his true worth. Amen. You see, there, there are people in Jesus' day who, who saw him physically, but they did not see who he really was. For example, some saw him as Elijah or John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Some people saw Jesus as a great teacher or a great entertainer or a great miracle worker who could fill their belly. Some, like the religious leaders, saw Jesus as the competition, right? As a, someone they needed to get rid of, as a threat to who they were. Some, like Herod and Pilate, just saw him as a problem they needed to deal with. Though seeing, they did not see. I mean, seriously, if they, I mean, if they really knew that Jesus was God, I mean, would they, do you really think they would hit him? Do you really think they would drive spikes to him if they really knew? I'm not so sure. And listen, today there are people who, and not just in the world, who, who even go to church, who attend church, who attend numerous Bible studies, who lift their hands and sing songs that do not see Jesus for who he is. They see Jesus as an insurance policy. <laughs> uh, they see Jesus as a, a good guy to have around in a crisis or when it's convenient. Uh, they see him as a cosmic vending machine or a 911 helpline. As someone who exists simply to make them happy and to make their life better. I mean, if they saw Jesus for who he is, then their faith would be stronger, their love would be deeper, their commitment more consistent, their obedience would be more steady, and their life would be less lukewarmer. Now, there were times when people saw Jesus who he was in the first century, right? And what was their response? To fall on their knees on worship when he calmed the storm, right? When they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the curtain was pulled back for John on the island of Patmos, and when the centurion saw him die, surely this man was the Son of God. And this morning, I, I want to talk about seeing Jesus for who he is. And, and, and you know how intimidating that is? <laughs> to stand up here. Hey, guys, you know, I got a few minutes here. And I like to tell you who Jesus is, right? That is intimidating. And I know that I will barely scratch the surface. However, I believe that God's word is alive and active. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants you to know him. Therefore, I am confident that if you lean into the message and you want to see him, that your visual acuity will get a little clearer in the time we spend today. And let me say this, that those who are participating in our faith comes from hearing, right, that we're doing. It's really been awesome. You know, um, you can still join in. Um, we're, we're doing uh, this study on version. Right? We've been reading the Gospel of John. You're getting to see Jesus, right? It is really awesome. I'm so encouraged by, you know, I've, I'm, I'm hosting people. There's people commenting every day what they're reading. And I got to tell you, that, that just lifts me up. And I do want you to know that when this series is over, um, the 1st of March, we're beginning a, a brand new series. No idea how long it's going to take. It's simply called the Gospel of Mark, um, the life and ministry of Jesus. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to go all the way down to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It may take 16 weeks minimum, I know for sure, but I want us to see Jesus. We're going to really dig down deep. Who is Jesus? Uh, 
First of all, he's a hard God to pin down. I know it says guy and then up there maybe, but I, I meant God. Um, one of my favorite books I have on my shelf about Jesus is written by Leonard Sweet. It's called Jesus Drives Me Crazy. And the premise of the book is that Jesus drives me crazy, right? It, it, it's that he's really hard to pin down, right? He's, that the minute you think you have Jesus figured out, that he hangs like a, a 180 turn. You see, nearly everything that Jesus said and did is unpredictable. You never see it coming. It's the antithesis of conventional thinking. I mean, Jesus said that the way up is down. Uh, the way in is out. The way first is last. The way of success is service. He said that the way of attainment is relinquishment. He said the way of strength is weakness. He said the way of security is vulnerability and openness. He said the way to deal with your hurt is forgiveness up to seven times, 70 times. He, he said the way of life is death, death to self. He said, that the, he said that the way to make perfect is to acknowledge your weakness. He says, you want to get more? Go to where the least are. Want to be free? Give complete control to God. Want to become great? Become the least. Want to find yourself? Forget yourself. Want honor? Think of others more than you think of yourself. Want to get even with your enemies, Jesus says? Love them. Pray for them. And bless them. And not, not only did he say things that really don't make sense, but the things that he did. I mean, the creator... Leaving heaven, become one of us, the king of kings, coming to be, not to be served, but to serve the always existing God, dying on a cross. I mean, how do you pin down a God that's so unpredictable? Uh, like, what good shepherd would risk the survival of 99 safe sheep to go out and find the one lost sheep? What employer would pay last minute workers the same much as he paid the ones who've been working all day? What father would throw a party, a huge party for the son that blew his inheritance on wild and crazy and moral living? What guest would wait until the end of the banquet to provide the host with 180 gallons of the best wine they ever tasted? What kind of man would say, Father, forgive them as they're driving nine-inch spikes through his wrist? Jesus is unpredictable. He's unboxable. Um, one day Jesus talks about peace, and then the next day he says, hey guys, go get a sword, or he's making whips and driving people out of the temple. Uh, one day miracles flow from him. He does, sometimes he doesn't even know who was healed, and the next he's unable to do any miracles because of people's lack of faith. One day Jesus heals people and says, don't tell anybody. I don't want them to know. The next day he goes up in the middle of the temple on the Sabbath and heals in front of everybody. And one day the crowds want to make him king and he escapes. And then next thing you know, he's riding on a donkey as they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the coming king of Israel. On the way to the garden, he talks to the disciples and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. A few hours later, Pilate asks him, what is truth? And Jesus says, says nothing. Listen, if Jesus never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. He's a hard guy to pin down. He's a hard guy to put in a box. But that doesn't stop us, does it? I mean, we still try to define, tame, control, limit, and mold and shape Jesus into our own image. And how do we, how do we know that we're doing that? You know, that, that we're taming, controlling, limiting, and molding Jesus into our own image. One of the ways is Jesus always seems to agree with us, right? You, you know, he, 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 like he, he's kind of okay with our faults. 
but he condemns everybody else's faults, right? He thinks like you think. In the first chapter of his book, Jesus Revealed, Mark Roberts writes this, by making Jesus fit our preconceptions, we obscure who he really is and who he really is today. We miss the point of his life and message, not to mention his death and resurrection. Moreover, listen, if we invent a pseudo-Jesus who happens to be just like us, then we completely miss the opportunity to be transformed by the real Jesus, to become more like him and to live the life he designed for us to live. What I'm trying to say, part of seeing Jesus for who he really is, is recognizing that it's hard to see him clearly. It's to understand that he does not, cannot, and will not fit neatly into the boxes we want to put him in. It is to move past all the cliches and stereotypes that have been passed down for 20 centuries about Jesus. It's to stop trying to pin down, declaw, and domesticate the Lion of Judah. It's to realize that there's so much more about Jesus than we could ever imagine. Hey, that we don't see him clearly as we should, that we need a new pair of lenses. Who is Jesus? He's the image next of the invisible God. Understand, images convey a meaning way beyond the words that words can describe. My wedding band represents the fact that Laurie finally said yes to me. And when we see the Statue of Liberty, something unexplainable takes place deep inside of us, doesn't it? And the image of the American flag flying, right? Whew, I love it. Ignites feelings of patriotism. But as powerful as these symbols are, they're simply a representation of a far deeper reality. Um, my, my ring doesn't make me married. Rather, it's a symbol that I am married. Uh, the Statue of Liberty doesn't in itself do anything. It stands for a nation that honors freedom. The American flag is a powerful symbol, but it only represents what our country is about. And listen, Jesus is not just a symbol of God. He is God himself. The word image in Greek is the word icon and refers to likeness, manifestation, or replica. And a word, it's a word that conveys two thoughts, representation and revelation. You see, Jesus not only represents God, he's the exact symbol of God. But listen, the word icon means more than just a symbol. It also means that that symbol brings with it the actual presence of the object. It's the actual revelation, manifestation of the object it represents. In other words, Jesus brought God into the human sphere. Jesus manifested God. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In John 1, we read, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in close relationship with him has made him known. See, Jesus made the invisible God visible. He made God known in the human sphere. And Jesus, the invisible God, pressed himself into the clay of humanity so that the second person of the Trinity could show you and I how to live. 
Jesus is the physical revelation and representation of the invisible God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus is the great I am. He's the always existing one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, the everlasting one, the one who reigns and rules with all authority over all things. Maple Grove, your visual acuity gets clearer when you begin to see Jesus for who he really is, that he's God, that he's a difficult person to pin down. And next, who is Jesus? The creator of all things. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. John 1.3, Colossians 1.16 and 17. For him, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created all things. Four times in those three verses we see that phrase, all things. And listen, there's a whole lot of all things out there. Amen? He created all things. He's the creator of all things. And that's why when Jesus wore flesh, he frequently demonstrated that he had power over creation. Right? He could walk on water and the water sustained him. Why? Because he created the water, right? He could say to the storm, right, and the winds, peace be still. Why? Because he created the weather. He created the storm. He created the waves. Jesus could touch a, a, a grain of wheat, of bread, and it would multiply. Why? Because he had made it. Jesus could touch lame limbs and they would walk. He could touch blind eyes and they would see. He would touch people who were dead and they would be brought to life because Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. He created all things. And Paul says all things were created not just through him, but for him. So you were created for him. So it's not about you, right? God does not exist to serve you, right? God does not exist to make much of you. You exist to make much of him. Get it? Good. And it says that he holds all things together. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. All the things of the creation hold together. For hold together, that means to prevent something from falling into complete chaos. See, he's before all things, and he's a glue that holds it together. In him, everything came into being and continues to be. In fact, if Jesus was to remove his sustaining power, everything would fall apart. You know, here's a little picture of, a, of an atom. And, you know, like, like, the, like everything's made up of atoms. There's like a lot of them in the visible universe. Like a 10 to the uh, 82nd power. That's like a lot. Um, and like the nucleus is positive, right? Protons are positive. And like positive things are supposed to do what? Likes what? Repel. But it doesn't. Right? Right? right. And, and, and no one really knows why. So scientists said they call it the strong force or nuclear force. Well, there's this force. We don't know what it is. But obviously that's why it's held together. There's some force we don't know. You know what that force is? <laughs> force is Jesus. Jesus literally holds all things together. And don't miss the implication of this. It has incredible carryover for each of us. 
See, if Jesus made you, that means he can remake you. If Jesus created you, he can recreate you in his image. If Jesus can hold all things together in the universe, then he can help you hold all things together when your life is falling apart. If Jesus is over all things and superior to every kingdom and power and ruler, visible or invisible, then he's probably well equipped to deal with any problem you're going to face this coming week. Amen? Who is Jesus? He's a God who, hard to pin down. He's the image of God, the fullness of God. He's the creator. Who is Jesus? He's our, he's our Savior. Listen, every person who ever has breathed air or walked on this planet needs a Savior, right? Because we've all sinned and fallen short. And our sin separates us from God. And when it comes to Jesus being our Savior, I'm just going to read some Scripture. And let the Holy Spirit do his work. Matthew 1, 21, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, 11, the day in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is Christ the Lord. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Acts 4.12, Peter standing before the Jewish leaders, the same ones who had condemned Jesus. And he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. They left there, told not to speak again. They go out, they speak again. They get arrested. And we read in Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Peter says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan for the, before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by, appear, by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and mortality through the good news. Titus 3, 5, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth, baptism, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 9 through 22. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him to reconcile everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And speaking to these believers in the church of Colossae, he says, this includes you who are once far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. John fourteen six. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our Savior. And I'd be amiss not to tell you what you do, right? If he is our Savior, how do you respond to the Savior? Well, you believe in who he is. You believe that you're a sinner. You believe that he died for you. You 
confess Jesus in your heart as Lord, as a boss of your life, and as the boss of your life, you do what he tells you to do. And one of the things he told people to do, we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, what did he tell them to do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today, you've not, you've not done that. If you believe, you believe he's Lord, right? Then you just do what he says, right? You don't argue with him. You don't obey with him. If he told me to repent and live for him, not for myself, I'm going to do that. If he told me to be baptized, immersed in water, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to debate him. I'm just going to obey him. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me, anyhow. Who is Jesus? He's our Lord. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is Lord. You know, in that, in that book I'm reading, Jesus Revealed, um, the guy writes about a time when he's at a Christian camp and everything was geared to Wednesday night, most Christian events are geared to some night, Wednesday or Friday night, and this was the night that you drill on, drill down the fact that Jesus died and you can have forgiveness of sins. And that night they drilled down on it, and, and uh, dozens of, of the students uh, um, surrendered to Jesus and they were baptized in the lake that night. And when the counselors got back to their own cabinets that night, they're celebrating, they're excited because they know that, hey, you know what? We're pretty sure that everybody who didn't respond is already a Christian, so all of these 200 students are Christians, and, but one counselor was off to the side, and he was not so excited, and they're going, what, what's going on? And he said, well, they're excited about him being Savior, but we never talked about him being Lord. We kind of like buried that in the fine print. And the speaker said, hey, don't worry about it. Tomorrow's Thursday night. I'm going to drill down on the fact that Jesus is Lord and preach a message about that, and he did. And he called for invitation. He says, hey, whoever wants Jesus, whoever wants to live under the lordship of Jesus, raise your hand. And of the 220 of them raised their hands. They're willing to accept his salvation, but they're not willing to live under his lordship. What, what does it mean, right? Well, we all say that. I can be honest, sometimes I write in my journal, I'll say, good morning, Lord. And the God will say, don't call me that. Because why do you call me Lord and not do what, you, do what I say, right? I'm living in disobedience. I'm right. good morning, Lord. Yeah, I did some wrong things, thought some wrong thoughts, but that's okay. Good morning, Lord. He goes, don't call me that. Because Lord means that, that I'm in charge. Lord means that you're going to obey me, right? Lord means that it's about my will, not, not, not your will. Lord means if I tell you to stop doing something, you stop. If I tell you to start doing something, you start doing it. If I tell you to go, you go. Jesus is Lord. It means we wave the white flag of surrender, and we surrender him our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our tongues, our wants, our desires, our opinions, our agendas, our wallet, our lives, our everything. And Jesus, you're over everything. See, Jesus, you know, he's Lord over all, or he's not our Lord at all, right? He's over everything. We don't get to pick and choose. Jesus, you know what? You're Lord of my salvation, but I'm Lord of how I act on Friday nights. Or you're Lord of how I spend my money. No, we don't get to do that. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then Matthew 7, you know that, that freaky warning, right? It's there. You know, we're, 
what Jesus said to them, right? When people came up, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? He goes, I don't know who you are. Yeah, depart from me. Right? Get away from me. I, I, see, it, 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 to see Jesus clearly, you know, Jesus is like, he's, your, he's our Lord or he's not, right? Jesus doesn't play games, right? And, and Jesus knows my heart. He knows your heart. He, he knows right now, you know, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are there areas in your life that he's not the Lord? And the cool thing about him, he's so good. All we got to do is repent. And he goes, we're good. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to run up the humpback rock four or five times in a row and come back down. And, you know, and God says, okay, now that you've done that, you're good. No, all you got to say, God, you know what? You, you've not been the Lord of this area of my life. But I want you to be the Lord in that area of my life. And he forgives. But if you don't see him as Lord, you don't see Jesus where he is, right? Does that make sense? Is that uncomfortable? I hope so. Because we all have things, right, that we need to deal with. I believe that. Who is Jesus? He's the Alpha and Omega. Revelation 1.8, I'm, I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who is and was and is to come. Alpha and Omega, right? They're not just Greek fraternities, right? You know, they're, you know, they're the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, kind of parallel to I'm the first and the last, I'm the beginning and the end. What does it mean? It means that Jesus was here before the universe was spoken into existence. It means that Jesus is eternal and always existing. It means that Jesus has been everywhere you've ever been, and he's already standing where you're going to be tomorrow. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He stood before time began. He'll be standing when time is no more. And nothing about this title, the Alpha and Omega, reminds us that Jesus, unlike us, who tend to procrastinate and not follow through, that he finishes and what he started. Matter of fact, book of Revelation, only place you see this title for him. Revelation 21, 5 and 6. He was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I finished what I started. <laughs> I'm the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, see, the book of Revelation is where Jesus finishes what was started in the beginning. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, he creates a new heaven and a, and a perfect earth. In Genesis, Satan begins to act. Humanity loses paradise and sin and death begin to reign. In Revelation, Satan is cast into the pit forever. Paradise is regained and death and sin are destroyed forever. In Genesis, man is driven from God's presence. In Revelation, man is brought fully into God's presence forevermore. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is everything, who is everywhere. There's nowhere that he has not been, nowhere that he is not now, and nowhere that he will not be. 2020 vision, visual acuity. Okay, so what? What does this mean? How, how is your visual acuity when it comes to Jesus as your Savior? You still think it depends on you? Are you saved and still trying to earn your salvation rather than leaning on His grace? 
You think he does part of it, but you still have to do something. You still think it's, you know, it's going to be, can my good stuff outweigh my bad stuff, right? No, he, he's your savior completely. How, how's your visual acuity when it comes that, you know, the God is the creator? You understand how great and huge our God is? That he created all things? It blows, it blows my mind. He breathes out stars. And, and you know, 1.3 million earths would fit into our sun. Okay? That's, that's, that's a lot. Um, Canis Majoris is a huge star. 9.3 billion suns would fit into Canis Majoris. So I brought out my calculator this, today, this morning when I was thinking about this. 12 trillion earths would fit inside this star. You think he can't handle your problems? You think he can't help you? You think there's something he can't do? Yeah, God, I know you can breathe out a, you know, a, a star that can hold uh, 12 trillion earths, but man, I'm having trouble at work right now. <laughs> you know, I'm struggling with my finances. You, you think he can't handle it? And, and, and how's your visual acuity of thinking that, you know, do you think you got Jesus figured out? I mean, is your Jesus in a box? Have you domesticated him, right? Yeah, you have this nice, safe Jesus, you know. I, I love that line, right, Chronicles of Narnia. I remember the beavers talking, you know, and Aslan's coming. You know, is he safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. You know, Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. You need to see him for who he is. He's your Lord, he's your Savior, he's your Creator, he's God. Right? He's the Alpha and Omega, right? He's got it all covered from beginning to end. There's nowhere you ever been, are, or will be that he's not right there with you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and we... Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would help each and every one of us to, to see you for who you are. You're so huge and powerful. And, and I just feel sometimes, Lord, that, that what I want to get across, I'm not sure it got across. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would just help us to see Jesus for who he is. And Lord, if there's someone here today that needs to acknowledge him as Savior, I pray that they do that. If there's someone here today, God, that's, that sees you as someone who lets them get away with things that you say are wrong and that you're okay with it. I pray they realize that you're not okay with it. You still love them, but you're not okay with it. You're not okay with sin. You're not okay with disobedience. And I pray you just press upon every heart in this room, myself included, to make sure every area of my life that's not under the, your lordship would just be repented of. And God, for those who feel like their life is falling apart, may they just know that the one who holds all things together is on their side and in their corner, and he can help them hold their lives together, help them hold their heart together, help them hold their peace and contentment together. And thank you, Jesus, for coming and showing us who God is. Because if you want to know who God is, we just have to look at you. Give us eyes to see. And may we, be not, may we not be satisfied with the Jesus we see today. May we long to see more of him. Amen.